Wow. Thank you, worship team. Thank you for your time, your energy, your gifts, the light that you are sharing with us through the, the ways that God has blessed you, and now they're blessing us. Thank you. As we continue in our worship this morning, we're going to spend some time in the 15th chapter of Luke. And so we're going to bring our friend Olivia up to read the first of that collection of parables. Luke 15, 3 through 7. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Thank you, Olivia. Good morning, friends. If uh, you did not know that you were stepping into a session of a youth conference, surprise! Uh, maybe I'm sorry, but mostly you're welcome. This uh, has been a tremendous weekend, and we have seen that I liked, I liked the LED bit because we have really seen these kids shine. They've been out in Columbus, they've been out in the community, but we've also seen them together. We've seen them in games, we've seen them in worship, we've seen them in those unstructured in-between times, and I am not particularly worried about the future of the church. So if you are not uh, one of our teenagers, I see a few people that might not be teenagers, but that's fine. Uh, my name is Jeremy, and it is really a joy to be with you this morning. Um, I haven't mentioned this earlier to our friends here in green. I've never really liked my name. I don't know if anyone else has that experience. I've heard it a few times. I've never liked Jeremy. It, Jeremy is the name of a whiny kid, right? Like, and don't, don't make faces like it fits. Um, maybe I have been a whiny kid sometimes, but I, I've never really, I've made peace with it, but I don't, I've never enjoyed my name. And it's not even one that's particularly easy to play with or tease or make fun of. I mean, I've, I've been Jeremy, I've been Jeremy, I've been Germany, I've been Jeremiah. I've never known why that one upset me so much. I'm very sensitive about all these name jokes. I was, uh, as a youth pastor, I was Jerbear, which became Hairbear, which became Harami, and frequently I just ended up being hair. I used to look like David Crowder. Hair down the back and a beard out to the sides. Um, I've been germs. I've been all sorts of little plays with it. I, I've got this traumatic memory from preschool of the name game, like Hannah, Banna, Bobana, Banana, Fana, like you know this thing. I took the name game personally in preschool. Like that, that should have been the sign to check me into some sort of different program, but I've, I've always been sensitive about names. And so when, when I found out that we were pregnant for the first time, my wife and I started talking about names and we took them really seriously. If you've named your child, you might remember some of how those discussions went. Maybe they got a little heated. There was, there was some tension in my family about naming our kids. We didn't agree on what they should be named, but we agreed that they were important. And we liked the idea of biblical names, but there are some bad biblical names, right? Um, 
there are people in the Bible named things like Dodo, Mash, Nimrod, Ichabod. Yeah, this is my daughter, Ichabod. Ham. Ham's a great name. The brothers Uz and Buzz. And, and some names sound okay, but are actually pretty unfortunate. Like in Genesis 25, Isaac and Rebekah named their kids Jacob and Esau, which, that sounds fine. That's a good enough name. There's probably someone named, there, is there a Jake in this room? Do we have a Jake? Yeah, Jacob is not an unfamiliar name, but their names have meaning too, and this happens all the time in the Bible. Like the name carries meaning beyond just a label. And so you get Esau, which means something like really hairy dude, and Jacob, which means the grabber, the overreacher, or insidious, depending on how you use it in a sentence. So like, buy a baby book name. It's not that hard, parents. But in the Bible, we frequently see that the names people are given, they, they carry more than just a label. They tell a story. They cue us into what this character might be like, what they might be doing, what their story might look like. All of their identity is wrapped up frequently in their name. So with this name and identity idea locked in our heads, I want to go back to Luke 15 and look at another one of Jesus's. There's a series of parables there. They flow beautifully together, but it climaxes with this last parable that Jesus tells with these folks that give themselves some really bad names. You, you know this story, so I'll mostly paraphrase it, but Jesus says there was a man, a rich man, who had two sons, and, and his younger son came to him, and he said, Dad, give me my share of the inheritance, which is an incredibly, it's a really rude thing to say to your dad. This is like, Dad, I wish you were dead. I would prefer to live in a world where you were not here. I want to do things my way. I want a world where you are not in it. And disrespecting your mother and father is a potentially capital offense in the society that the story is being told in. So this is a big deal to be like, Dad, just give me, give me what I get when you're dead, and we'll just pretend like each other don't exist. But shockingly, the father does it. He liquidates his estate or whatever and gives his younger son half. And the kid runs off and moves to a foreign country and lives like he's not a part of this family anymore. And the, the text tells us he squandered his money on, depending on your translation, it might say something like fast living or wild living or loose living. And it, it's kind of fun. The, uh, let's do a little Greek. The, the Greek word for squandered is die score peacin. Say die score peacin. You are all now Greek scholars. Congratulations. And, and it's, it's an agricultural word for like to scatter seed. So it, he moved to a foreign country and he made it rain. He just threw money everywhere until he finds himself completely. Yeah, I see you. Sitting on the front row, you're going to get caught. The, um, until he finds himself completely destitute and broken, and he's got nothing left and nothing to do, and it tells us that he's feeding pigs, which there's all sorts of implications to that. You don't want to be around pigs in this culture. Now he's working with them, and he wishes that he could even just have it as good as the pigs, and he remembers what life was like with his dad back at his family when, when he was still a part of that family, and he says, man, even my dad's slaves live better than me. And so he comes up with a plan. He says, I'll go home. I'll go home, but it can't be the same. Because I've blown it. I've ruined it. It's over. 
And, and so he makes up this speech, and I imagine as he's on the long walk, he's broke, I mean, he's probably walking, on the long walk home from this distant land, he's rehearsing his speech over and over again. It goes something like, Father, I've sinned against God, and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Father, I've, I've sinned. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. I blew it. I ruined it. I know I can't be your son anymore. Let, let me just, can I work for you? And he practices this, and he hones it, and he probably tries to figure out exactly how he wants to say it, and he gets back to his home, and while he, before he's even to the family estate, the text says, Jesus tells us, the father sees him and runs out to greet him. Another scandalous, shocking moment, a well-to-do man does not run. And the, the father embraces his son, and I can feel the son like recoiling against this hug and maybe wiggling, squirming, pushing out of it. And he goes into his speech, Father, I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. But the father doesn't even lame fish. He interrupts him. And, and he starts calling up his staff and he, he gets his son's shoes and a, the, the robe and the, it tells us a ring. He gets the family signet ring put back on his finger. He gets the name and the authority of the family put back on him. And the dad throws a party because his son, it was like he was dead, he's alive again, and he's put the ring back on his finger. He said, you can be my son. So this young man, the, the prodigal, he's got a, a choice to make because there's two stories that are being told about him right now. There's the story that he's telling. I'm broken, I'm not good enough, I'm... I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Just make me like a slave. He's telling a story where he's the problem, where he's irredeemable, where he can't be a part of the family anymore because he's slave. But the father is telling a completely different story. The father is saying, you are my son. You're still a part of this family. You can be my child. We can be together. We can be a family you get to have the signet ring back. But there's two sons in the story, right? So we, we leave that one hanging, and we find out that the older brother, who never left, he hears that the son is back. He sees the commotion of this party that they're preparing, and he's confused. He did not remember a block party scheduled for his home. And so he flags down some of the staff at the estate and says, well, what's going on? Your younger brother is back, and your dad's throwing a party. An older brother, I'm like, I have a three-year-old. I understand what a tantrum looks like. Older brother throws a tantrum about this. He's furious. He's, like, overwhelmingly angry. And he starts, like, you can hear it in the tone. When you talk to your parents and you start the sentence with, look, you're, you're in trouble. Uh, but also, like, th this, is, this is not a place of respect. So the older brother is now firing off too, and he says, look, I have slaved for you all of these years. I was here, I stayed, I did what I was supposed to, I was good, and you've never celebrated me like this. I've been a slave to you. And the father turns around to him, and he says, you're not a slave. You're my son. And you've always been with me, and you've had access to all of it. 
Everything I have is yours. The older brother is in the same situation as the younger brother. He's telling a story about himself where he's, he's trapped, he's slave, he's got to hold it all together. He's got to be the perfect one. He's, he's the oldest, he's the best, he's the one with all of the pressure and the pride. And so he's telling a story of I have to earn it, I have to be good enough. And he's given himself the same name as the younger brother. Younger brother says, just make me like one of your slaves. Older brother says, I have been a slave this whole time. Both of them have a decision to make. Whose story are they going to believe? Are they going to believe the story that they're telling about themselves or the story that the father is telling about them, that they are loved and welcomed and cherished and valued? And we find ourselves in this same sort of conundrum. There's stories being told about us. There are names that are being used for us. Some of them we've given ourselves. Some of them others have put on us. There's a story being told about us where we are not good enough, where we're the problem, where we're what's broken, where we are corrupt, where we are irredeemable, where we are less than, where we are unlovable, where we are not smart enough. Whatever it is that, that's weighing on you, there's that story, and the names we give ourselves in there, failure, disappointment, unwanted, unexpected, undesirable, whatever it is, loser, addict, outcast, reject, whatever name we've put on ourselves. But then there's also the story that Jesus is telling about us, that we are loved and cherished and welcomed we are valued, that we are significant. And we, like the brothers, have to decide whose story we're going to believe. Are we going to listen to the, the story that the world is telling about us, that we're telling about ourselves? Are we going to believe the names that we've put on ourselves or that others have put on us? Or are we going to believe what Jesus is saying about us? And, and follow Jesus into that narrative because there's two ways to go. We can live into our story or we can live into the story that Jesus is telling about us. And it's not Jesus does not want to take your identity away. Jesus does not want to make you less you. Jesus wants to take you and dial it up. Turn it up to 11. In John 10, Jesus says the reason that he has come is to bring people life and full life, that there's an experience, a way of being human that's more real and more rich and more true than any other way of existing. And so we have to choose between these two stories. And all of us come to the space today with stories and names and baggage that we, we're navigating the world through those lenses in that narrative. And so in just a few moments, we're going to open the table. We're going to share in communion together. And you'll get instructions about that in just a minute. But when, when you come to the table, I want you to think about the stories, the names, the labels that you've been told about yourself, that the world's telling about you, that you've made up for yourself, that others have put upon you. 
And when you come forward, you have a chance to bring that with you. Think about it, name it, hold it in your mind, but bring it forward with you, and you can leave it at the altar today. When you take the, the bread and the cup, you can bring your story and trade it for the story that Jesus is telling about you. Whatever that is, whatever that baggage, whatever that hurt, whatever that label, whatever that pain, Jesus is big enough to handle it. So bring it with you and trade it for Jesus. Kep, let's open the table.